It's great to see everyone today. My name is Corey, and I serve as a teaching pastor here at our Plain City campus. And if you're, you're new with us today, we're so glad that you have come to, to worship with us. And uh, I want to let you know, uh, you can follow along today in our LifePoint app. It's in our app there. We have a section that says notes. Under that notes section, we have all of the, the scripture, and we have some key points, and we have a spot you can even take your, your own notes there. And I uh, say that because we're in week two of our series called Ordinary People, and in this series we're looking at individuals who appear minimally in the scriptures, but God uses mightily, right? And I think that's important for us to see as we walk through each week, because a lot of the times we begin to think like, I need to have the lead role. I need to be the lead character. I have to be the best of the best or have it all together in order for for God to, to use me to make a difference. However, that's not how it works in God's economy. That God takes great joy in using regular, everyday, ordinary people just like all of us to to do great things through and for his kingdom and for his purposes. And really that's kind of the heartbeat behind our big idea for this series, which is that God uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. And today as we we dive in, we're going to meet four guys that were behind the scenes, four guys that even no one even knows what or who their names were. They never appear in the Bible, again, outside of the scripture we're gonna look at today. But God uses them in an extraordinary fashion. So I wanna ask you, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and, and open with me to 2 Kings chapter seven. 2 Kings chapter seven, that's way back in your Old Testament, kind of near the beginning of, of your Bible. And as you're making your, your way there, here's where we're headed today. Today, we're going to to look and walk through this account here in 2 Kings together. Then we're going to ask two key questions, and then we're going to look at what are the personal implications of of everything we're talking about today. So as we open up to to 2 Kings and chapter 7, there's some important background that we need to know about as we walk through this today. There's a civil war taking place in 2 Kings here. And this civil war is taking place between the 10 tribes who call themselves Israel and two tribes that call themselves Judah. Now, the capital of Israel is Samaria, and Samaria is under attack by some people called the Syrians in in, in 2 Kings here. And during this time, when when folks went together, uh, went against each other in war, there was a particular war tactic used called siege warfare. And what siege warfare was this, the attacking army would completely surround the city that it, was, that it was going after. It would completely surround the city, and they would set up camp around that city. And that, that army's camp would be fully stocked, money and food and clothing and animals and all their, their weaponry, everything they needed. And what they would do is they would cut off all the supplies into the city they were attacking, and that army would just sit. And they would wait, and they would wait, and they would wait. And the city being attacked would slowly run out of its food, run out of its water, run out of its supplies. And goods within the city, as everything was happening, become more and more expensive. If we think inflation is, is bad now, right, the, the city of Samaria was seeing it far, far worse. And what would happen is people would begin to starve to death in the city, and eventually the people of the city would surrender or just die 
This is how the Syrians, this was siege warfare. This is how the Syrians were attacking the city of Samaria in 2 Kings here. And as a result, those within the the city of of Samaria were experiencing a severe famine. Inflation was, was through the roof. They were eating things and food that they would not normally eat. So, so terrible. It got so terrible that even cannibalism was beginning to take place within the city walls. And now the king of Samaria, he's furious. And who is he furious at? He winds up being furious with God. He's mad at God for for the situation. He's blaming God for for what's going on. And he calls for God's prophet, Elisha. And Elisha comes in and speaking to one of the king's officials in verse 1 of chapter 7 says this. Elisha says, hear the word of, of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, Six quarts of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and 12 quarts of barley for a shekel, right at the gates of Samaria. So Elisha walks in, and he gives this unbelievable prediction from from God. He says, you know what, king? Tomorrow, here's the deal. The siege is going to be over. Famine's going to be over. Inflation's going to be over. The whole entire economic situation is going to be completely reversed by this time tomorrow, that there's going to be so much food, that there's going to be so much money, that things will be cheaper than we've ever seen it before. The king's officials look back at at Elisha, and in verse 2 says, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be, right? What the official's saying here is, no way, no how, Elisha, you are full of it. That even if God intervened and opened the windows of heaven, there's no way he could provide for our deepest need in this moment. And it's at this point we meet our four unlikely heroes. Completely unaware of God's promise here, completely unaware of Elisha's words to the king and the king's official, we read in in verse 3, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. Leprosy was this disease that affected the the hands and the feet and the face. It made your skin change. You could have loss of sensation to to touch and even paralysis in the body part that was uh, affected. And during this time, there was no cure for, for leprosy. As a result, those who had leprosy were sent to live outside the city walls. They were considered to be unclean, unwelcome. They were unwanted and they were un touchable. And in the Jewish culture, there were multiple ways you would be considered unclean. You would either touch a dead body, or you could touch reproductive fluid, or you could have a skin disease such as leprosy here. And there were various instructions on how you would become unclean, but it's important to note, I think, we hear leprosy, and a lot of times we can look at the Bible story and go, well, those must have been bad people. There must have been something wrong with, with them. But just because someone had leprosy, it didn't mean there was major sin in their life. It did not mean that God was punishing them. It did not mean something was was wrong with them. Just like you and I and many of our loved ones can can get sick. People that love God and follow God, right, happens. So it happened with people who got leprosy. But regardless here, these four men, these, these Lepers who were considered unclean, they were sent to live outside the city walls in a life of, of isolation. And they were an afterthought at best to anyone inside the city. They were quarantined from society, a word that we understand all too well more now than we, we ever did. This is why we find them here, as it says, at the entrance of the city gate. 
And what's amazing when you think about it, they're at the entrance of the city gate. They are outside the city walls and they're in between those of Samaria and the Syrian army. These four lepers are caught smack dab between all that, that's happening and going on. And so fully aware of their situation, we read as verse three continues, they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine's in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, then we shall live. If, if they kill us, we shall but die. So here are these men completely aware of the famine in the city, completely aware of the Syrian army, and they break into this conversation here. And they say, why are we sitting here until we, we die? And they begin to, to logically reason and work through their options that are before them. And the lepers basically are talking and they knew that, hey, if we stay at the city gate, we're gonna die of starvation. There's no food here. They also knew that if, if we miraculously were allowed into the city, well, there's no hope there either because there's no food there either and we'll starve and die inside the city. So they come to this amazing conclusion. They say, you know what? Let's just go over to the Syrian army, right? If, if they kill us, well, we were gonna starve and die anyways. What's the big deal, right? But if they have pity on us, they may actually give us some food and we may live. What we see here is in this moment, like too many of us have experienced, the end of life brings clarity. The end of life brings clarity. Like James says, our lives are but a vapor and a mist. Job says our days are like a breath. The psalmist says our days wither like, like the grass. These men see that they are near the end of their life. And they know that, that the end of life brings unbelievable clarity. That if you've ever gone through surgery or a major health issue, or, or maybe you've just traveled super far away from your, your family to a place you've never been before, and it and it's, might be a little bit scary, right? When you're faced with a moment when life as you know it may be over or forever altered and changed, it changes everything. You, you have a clear focus on what matters the most to you. You see the things where there's nothing to lose and everything to gain. And, and like these lepers here, we either sit and die and do nothing, or we decide to leave it in God's hands and start to move forward. This is exactly where these four lepers were. And the conclusion that they came to in verse 5 was this. It says, they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp to the, of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. Now, we read the word camp and I don't know about you, the first thing that comes into my brain is a little tent and a little fire pit and just, you know, some s'mores and all that kind of stuff, right? It's not that, right? We, we, have to, we have to realize here, this was a huge, massive army we're talking about. Thousands of men surrounding the city of, of Samaria, settled in for months and months, if not more. This camp was their home. This camp was their, their supply center for everything they needed for thousands of military men. And can you imagine these lepers as they approach the camp? I mean, they see it. It's massive, and they're walking closer and closer to it. And as they get closer, there's no guards on the perimeter. And as they get even closer, there's no one at the outposts. And all of a sudden, they're at the edge of the camp, and they hear no noise, and there's no movement. And then all of a sudden, they're in. 
They're in the camp without any resistance at all, walking around in and out of tents, empty, not a soul to be found. Everything is completely deserted, yet fully stocked. All the food, all the clothing, fire still burning, right? All the, the money and the riches to, to fund the, the siege were, were still in the camp. These men had to be baffled. What happened? Where did everyone go? Why did they leave in such a hurry? Well, verse six, we get the answer. It says, the Lord made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they, the Syrians, said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the, the kings of Egypt to come against us. So the Syrians fled away in the twilight and they abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, they fled for their lives. This is why the Syrians were gone. This is why there was no one there. That inside the city gates to, to Samaria, they were powerless against the army. Yet we see that God was not. That God caused the, the Syrians to hear the noise of a massive army approaching. And as a result, they freaked out and they fled. They hightailed it out of there. They left everything behind, leaving it for these unlikely lepers to completely raid the spoils of the camp. Now think about this for a moment. All this is happening, right? The army is gone, and no one in the city of Samaria has any clue that their enemies have fled. No one in the city knows the siege is over and done with. Everyone in the city went to bed that night with the reality of death and starvation and hopelessness, in despair and, and, and horror and worry, yet they had no idea they were absolutely free. God had defeated the army for them. Meanwhile, back at the camp, verse 8 says, these lepers come to the edge of the camp, and they went into a tent and ate and drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they went and, and hid them. And they came back and entered another tent, and they carried off things from it and went and hid them. These lepers, after living a life outside of, of society, completely secluded, receiving the scraps and, and the leftovers, removed from the comforts of, of life on the brink of death and, and starvation, all of a sudden these lepers experienced the answers to their hopes and prayers. They personally experience that in their moment of deepest need, God met their deepest need. They see that God meets, we see that God meets our, our deepest needs. That God meets our deepest needs. Now, I would dare say that most of us have no idea what it means to truly be starving. Although we've probably all said it at some point in time. We've been hungry enough to say, I'm starving. Every parent in the room has given their kids the same lecture our parents gave us when our kids are like, I'm starving. We turn around, you don't know what starving is, right? You're, you're hungry. Be glad that you're not starving. You're going to make it just fine. We just went to Target. You don't need a snack and a Camelback water fill, right? We'll be back in 10 minutes, right? But could you imagine? Could you imagine being truly starving to death? And all of a sudden, you walk into your favorite restaurant. Picture your favorite restaurant right now and you're starving and you walk in and there's all the food, all prepared, no line, no weight, all you can eat and completely free. This is exactly what these lepers experience. 
they walk into essentially an all-you-can-eat buffet that was sitting right in front of them. But then it hits them. It hits them that, you know what? We're going to be hungry again. We're going to be outcasts again. We're going to be unwelcome again. We're going to be outsiders again. And so they begin going from tent to tent and taking as much as they can outside of the camp and hiding it for themselves to provide for themselves later. They're, they go back in again and they grab more and they go in and out. God had, had provided for them in this miraculous way. God had satisfied their, their deepest needs. And in the midst of their satisfaction, in the midst of going in and out of the camp, they come to this amazing conclusion. Verse 9 says, they look at each other and they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning, punishment will overtake us. And they say, now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. These lepers rightfully enjoyed the miracle God provided for them, but they also realized in this moment they had a responsibility to share in that provision. They understood that to remain silent and to selfishly enjoy what God had, had given them, God's blessing to them, would be a sin. They realized and understood in that moment that they could not enjoy all that God had done while people were starving and dying inside the, the city that they had a responsibility, as it says here, to go and share good news. Isn't that an interesting choice of words? Good news. Good news means to proclaim or convey important information that's regarded worthy of celebration. That's exactly what these lepers had, information that was worthy of celebration. But I don't know about you in this moment. Here's what it, where it rings a bell for me. Isn't this what we're called to do? Are we not called to share? Are we not called to proclaim? Are we not called to convey and to serve, to not be silent, to not sit and, and wait in taking the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us? The good news in proclaiming God's love for us and sending Jesus for our sins the good news in, in proclaiming that God provided for us in our deepest need and making Jesus the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The good news in, in proclaiming God's generosity towards us and giving and lavishing upon us the riches that we have in, in Christ. Good news in proclaiming to others God's promise of eternal life. Good news in proclaiming that, that God has, has given us ultimate satisfaction in Jesus right here and right now. This is God's miracle to us today. That once upon a time, you and I were starving and we were dying because of sin in our lives, but God provided a miracle to us and made us alive in Christ. This is the good news of Jesus Christ and this is the responsibility we are to go and take and share with others. And you know what I'm challenged with here in, in, in reading this and looking at, at these lepers is that as they were enjoying God's provision, they enjoyed God's provision first and then they went out to go and, and share. And I think this is a key for us, that a key for you and I to sharing about Jesus, to sharing good news of Jesus Christ is to make sure we are personally enjoying him first. That a key to you and I going and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is to make sure we are personally enjoying him first. That our service, our sharing, our going comes out of the overflow 
of our relationship with Jesus in our lives. That God unselfishly gave of himself in Jesus to us. And he didn't do this so that we could just be comforted and hold it all to ourselves and live unto ourselves, right? He came and saved us from our, uns- from our selfishness so that we can go and take good news to others. Here, these lepers are overflowing with what God had done for them in their lives and they realize that they must go and tell I love how it says that. We must go and tell. What an amazing act of service to go and tell of the good news. And and listen to what happens next. It's not going to be up on the screen there. I'm going to go through it really quickly. Because of their decision to go and share the good news, verse 10 tells us that that the lepers go back to the city gates. They call out to the gatekeepers, right? I wonder if these guys were on a first-name basis because the gatekeepers must have known them. They must have known the gatekeepers. So they kind of, they call out to them and they're like, hey, we have good news to share, right? The army is gone. There's so much food that's been left over in camp. There's, there's silver and there's gold and there's supplies, right? They share all this good news with the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers go and take the good news to the king. And in verse 12, the king sends men to go and see if this good news is true. And the men run out and they verify the leper's news. And in verse 16, we see that the people, the, the people of the city of Samaria went out and, and they, they plundered the camp of the Syrians so that six quarts of fine flour was for a shekel and 12 quarts of barley was for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. I just saw it this morning, didn't have a lot of time to study it this week as I was reading through things again. I circled two things that I thought was amazing. Go and tell led to come and see, right? The leper's decision to go and tell led to people coming and seeing what was going on. And when the people came and see, there, there was no stopping them. They saw, oh my gosh, we have an unbelievable need and God has provided for this need, right? And in the process of all that we just talked about and all that went on, remember where we started today. We started with the king angry and blaming God. And Elisha walks in and says, hey, within 24 hours, the famine, inflation, the siege, the army, all of it is gonna be gone. And it happened. It happened just as God said it would. And what I find amazing and interesting and intriguing and in this miraculous story and this is an account of, of Second Kings is who would have thought that four lepers would be used by God to be the linchpin to bring an end to a famine, to save the northern kingdom of Israel, and to bring about and show that God's word is faithful and true every single time. Who would have thought that? Certainly not the king, certainly not the gatekeepers, certainly not the people in the city, certainly not the the enemy, certainly not you or I, and definitely not the lepers themselves. But that's exactly what happened. What an amazing story in 2 Kings here. But here's the deal. What does it mean? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for for us? What's the application for us? And in this series as we're looking at ordinary people that that we are our servants, how does this tie in to us today? Well, I think the tie-in and the application comes when we ask two key questions. 
Uh, my, my friend, Pastor Jeff, he asked me these questions this week as we kind of walked, walked through this account together. And when he asked me these two questions, I went home that evening and 2 Kings chapter 7 became extremely personal as, as I saw these two questions kind of flesh themselves out. The questions were this. Number one, why are the lepers in the story? You have to remember, this is all part of God's story. Why are the lepers even in this story? Why are they in the Bible? And number two, what would have happened if they weren't there? What would have happened if they weren't there? Right? In God's word, everything is intentional, purposeful, and useful. So why are these lepers in the story? And what would have happened if they weren't there? The answers are really simple. Why are they there? Well, they are there to be used by God to advance his purposes, and as we saw, to bring good news to those who needed it. What would have happened if they weren't there? The city would have never known the siege was over. The king would have never known the enemy was defeated. Good news would have never been shared. People would have died when the remedy to their issue was right outside their city gates. God's provision would have never never been shared with those who needed it the most, and the word of the Lord would have not proven to been true. But these four men were in the story, unnamed, unknown, unworthy, just a footnote in the scriptures, never to be heard again, but used in extraordinary fashion to advance God's purposes. Now listen, here's where this hits home for us today we got to ask ourselves the same two questions. Why are you in God's story? Why am I in God's story? What would happen if you weren't here? What would happen if we weren't here? We ask those same two questions because our story mimics the leper's story. You say, well, how does our story mimic the, the leper's story? Listen, whether you think so or not, one day we are all going to die. The Bible says it's appointed for man and for woman to die once and then comes judgment. That unless Jesus comes back and, and takes us home, it's inevitable death is coming for all of us. And so may the certainty and the reality of death bring unbelievable clarity on how we're supposed to use and live in our lives right here and right now. Number two, just like the lepers, God meets our deepest needs. Not only does he promise to meet our daily needs, but he meets our deepest needs in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, for a right relationship with God, and for the gift of eternal life. And number, th number three, just like the lepers, we too must enjoy God first. We must enjoy Jesus first. And out of that overflow, we are to go and share good news with others. That we are not to just sit here until we die. That there is good news that we cannot be silent about. And when we look over the entire story arc of scripture, at the center of it is God and, and Jesus himself right? And we see that there's, there's Jesus doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, that, that there's the cross, our freedom, and Jesus's death, our forgiveness, and his resurrection, our redemption, and our new life. And in that entire story arc of scripture, we see, in, we see God working 
and moving until Jesus comes and Jesus puts his feet on this earth and then Jesus' ministry starts and Jesus is working and moving and then Jesus ascends and goes to heaven and you know what happens then? He looks at the body of Christ. He looks at Christians. He looks at the big C church and he says, now it's your turn to move into action until I come again. That it's now time for my people to go and take the good news of Jesus Christ to all the nations. Now it's time for, for my people, those who follow me, to be image bearers to all those around. Now it's, it's, it's Christian's turn to be the hands and feet of Jesus fulfilling his mission, all carried out by ordinary people just like you and me. This is why we are in God's story. This is why you are here. And if you weren't here, or if we just sit until we die, not only would you and I miss out on God's best for us and in him using us for his kingdom and his purposes and using our gifts and talents to advance his kingdom, but if we weren't here or if you sit until you die, who would not be reached? Who would not be served because you were gone? Who would not overcome the enemy? Who would not see God's provision in our lives? Who would not be able to find satisfaction in the Lord? Who would not hear, see, or experience the good news that they so desperately need that just might be sitting right outside their front door and you have it, you have the remedy, you have the answer? Who would not be saved? I think most of us would agree today that this world is broken and it's chaotic, and it's damaged, and it's in desperate need of change. So if there's going to be change, and if there are people that are going to be changed, what do they need to know? They need to know the good news. They need to come and see like the king's men did. They need to realize the enemy has been defeated, and they need to experience God's provision in their lives. And so I dare say that we as Christians cannot afford, I would dare say the world cannot afford for us to sit and do nothing. That we have this opportunity to show that in the chaos there is, there is peace beyond understanding. That in despair there is an unshakable hope and an unmovable God and in a, in a secure future. That in the, the hatred that is just riddled through the world that there is a, a love unlike any love this world knows or has experienced. And that when we're surrounded by the enemy, there is one who goes before and behind and that there is ultimate victory in Jesus Christ. So I want to ask us today a very personal question. Who are you serving? Where are you serving? How are you going? How are you telling? Who are you inviting to come? Who are you asking to come see? Because serving and going and telling is part of how you and I grow. It's part of being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's taking the good news to others and it's inviting others to come and see. Like we said last week, this is all part of who we're becoming. Becoming more and more like Jesus. Does going and telling, does serving, does all of this stretch us? Is it inconvenient? Is it a sacrifice? It definitely is. But what you'll begin to see is you're blessed as you begin to bless others. You'll begin to see that it's part of fighting back against the enemy 
It's being a light in a dark world. It's part of God using you more than you could ever think or imagine. Today, we saw four lepers who weren't priests, who weren't scribes, who weren't Pharisees. They weren't city nobles. They weren't well-known. They weren't even regular city folk. But God used them to accomplish the extraordinary. And I'm reminded, we're just like them. We're ordinary and we're broken people. But here's what our Savior said. Our Savior said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. You and I are the many that the king of the universe, he became a servant to us. And so now it makes sense that he calls you and I to go and do the same. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this this story that's tucked back in, in 2 Kings that we've never read or maybe have just blown past, but it's, it's rich and it's purposeful and there is great lessons for us to learn from it. Lord, help us to see that this truly is our story, that as you used unlikely candidates to advance your, your purposes and to advance your kingdom and to change their world, Lord, we have the amazing opportunity to partner with you, to be part of how you're working in the here and now to go and share good news with those around us, to change the world around us. Lord, help us to proclaim that good news with our lives, with our mouths, and with our service. May we proclaim Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. May we proclaim that the enemy has been defeated, that sin is overcome, that Jesus is Lord. And maybe today you're sitting here and you're like, I, I, I don't know this Jesus. I'm still, I'm still struggling with the world. I'm still struggling with a whole bunch of stuff in my life and I'm searching for, for my answers and you're ready to be done with sin and you're ready to be done with shame and you're ready to be done chasing after this world. You've been filling your belly up with, with the spoils of this wor- world and you're starving and you're hungry and you're dying. Jesus wants you to find healing in him. He wants you to find hope in him. He wants you to find peace in him, satisfaction in him today, security and purpose in him. All you need to do is come to him. All you need to do is come to him. And right where you're seated today, you can do that. You could tell him right now, just in the quietness of this moment, you can say, Jesus, I believe. I believe in you. I believe that you came and you died and you rose again. And this is good news because I can have forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. And in this moment, Lord, that's exactly what I'm asking for. Forgive me of my sins. I'm putting my hope and trust in you. And as much as I get it today, I want to follow after you and I'm inviting you into my life. I want you to be what fills me up and I want you to be my satisfaction from this day forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.